Well, welcome to the Didache podcast, where we're seeking to learn from the wisdom of the past, how to plant and grow churches of the present. In these conversations episodes, I speak with church leaders, planters and members with the aim of having our vision of Jesus and his church enlarged. Today, I'm delighted to be with Tim Vosby Burney, Tim's vicar of St. George's Church in Shrewsbury. He's also writer of the excellent and Jesus-centred daily reflections, which accompany the daily lectionary, which you can find on Twitter at Jesus underscore good underscore news. Tim, thanks for coming on. Great to be here. I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast in the past, and it's been a privilege and a shock to be on it myself. Oh, what a delight to have you here with us. Well, Tim, look, tell us a bit about yourself to begin. Tim, I'm um, a Basby Burney, which indicates in my eclectic background, Canadian, American and British. A um, bit of Norwegian there as well. Married to Caroline, uh, father to Hannah, who's learning to drive and about to go to university in a year's time. So hmm. different stage of life. Um, being ordained <clears throat> in Church of England for uh, 15 years, I think. So I kind of grew up in lots of different churches, Church of Wales, Church of England, Methodist, Baptist, uh, more charismatic, more traditional, all sorts of different forms. I then went to a church where oh, the Bible's been taught. This is quite good, actually. And, and so um, realized that the, this country is full of churches of all different styles, um, but where there's always malnourished Christians everywhere. You go along faithfully, but like me, just never been taught depth, in depth, get the Bible open, show us Jesus on every page. And that experience of me growing massively as I was fed made me think, I'd love to go and teach others. I have to go to a just a classic Church of England church uh, where people don't really know what they believe, but they know church is important and Jesus is probably in there somewhere and open up the Bible and, and see what happens. And the answer is some people like you, some people don't. Um, but actually, it's a delight to see people growing in the faith. Um, you know, church goes for 60 years and suddenly they're saying, oh, I've grown so much in the last couple of years. Um, that's just wonderful. And their faith just comes to life when the Bible's open. Well, it's actually going to be a bit of a different episode today. Normally at this stage, I ask the guest the question, what is church? But recently you sent me an email and it was entitled Liturgy is Awesome, which is was a great email subject, actually. And, and you kindly shared with me a five-part sermon series that you've recently done with your church on the question, what is church? And uh, the premise of that series, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, was that the, the structure of our liturgy can tell us who we are as church. And so rather than just ask that one question in the first half of this episode, we're going to take the whole episode to explore your thinking on this question, what is church? But Tim, just before we do that, would you tell us a little bit about your journey up to this sermon series? Like, Have you always had this conviction about church, worship, liturgy? Uh, and if not, what's brought you here and what, what's influenced your thinking in this area? Yeah, I definitely changed my mind over the years. I think um, my very eclectic church background when I was a child made me realise that form of the, the form of the service doesn't necessarily say anything about the theology that's going on in the sense that you have churches with lots of liturgy and no one believes a thing. You have churches with great preaching, but really you have weak liturgy. Um, so I was already quite flexible. And to go into churches that you can need re revitalising, you've got to be pretty flexible about the form anyway. Um I definitely, when I was kind of a student and thinking about ordination, I was definitely more on the lines of, like, why would you wear a dog collar and clean your robes and crazy? And no one's actually really ordained. But um, I think, I can't remember all the different influences. I can list a few in a moment. But um, I think it's a growing sense that 
worship when we get together something special really is going on like god's getting into work on us it's the divine service it's god working on us and we come but we're really coming empty to receive um okay so if god's working on us then maybe the shape of the service needs to reflect something of what the bible says about how god works uh maybe using the same maybe actually liturgy could be a ministry of god's word so many churches think that liturgy is kind of a, a negative thing and might hinder people from God's word, but it is a ministry of God's word. So let's do it according to the scriptures. Let's do it well. Um, so I think growing, a growing conviction that um, the shape of the service isn't something we make up, but reflects deep patterns that run throughout the whole Bible. Um, that traditional forms of worship, the structure of traditional forms of worship, whether the people knew it or not, as it were, does follow a, bi a biblical theological logic. And I remember, remember kind of discovering this, and, well, getting into this and talking to three young guys in their kind of 20s, 30s, new to the faith. And they were like, wow, so what we do on Sunday actually isn't just made up by a bunch of old people in old times. It's actually telling us about who God is and tells us who we are. So, yeah, worship isn't just when we get together for kind of, me to encourage you and you to encourage me that that's really important it's god's getting getting to work in us it's the spirit and the word together um laying hold of us and re-changing us and reshaping us um if it's god's work then probably god's word tells us about how services should be run and then there's more to it and um, particularly if, if um yeah, influenced by your uncle, Paul Blackham. If you actually think the Old Testament is all about Jesus, then you're much more readily to go to the Old Testament to find how Jesus worked there and how it all points to Jesus. And then that makes you, I think, made me more inclined to think maybe the Old Testament has patterns for worship, which, oh, yeah, they're there in the New Testament after all. Mm. And I didn't see it because I didn't look at the Old Testament enough. Sure. Now you look at the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament, you see it in church history. Um, yeah. and I guess one fact would be, I think I've come to the position more and more where I realize I'm not very wise. And so if Christians have been doing something for a long time, probably they're wiser than me. Let's assume, let's, let's start by assuming that like long traditions in the church may be right after all. There's, there's place for reformation, of course, but let's, let's press into why these things were done. And often as you press into some of the kind of traditional methods and forms, um, then you start realizing, oh, the spirit was at work in the past after all. And we can learn that wisdom for us today. Picking up on a few things you said there, we can do our theology from the whole of the Bible, Old and New Testament, but we can also do our ecclesiology from the whole of the Bible as well, Old and New. Yeah, when it's um, one, one saviour, one church all throughout. Yeah, um, then of course, um, it's, it's, uh, it's for all of us today, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I like what you said earlier about how did you put it? We come uh, to a Sunday empty, ready to receive yeah. Peter Lightheart, I think, has a line. And I know we've both uh, read and enjoyed Peter Lightheart, where he says every Sunday, Jesus takes off his robe and gets down to wash his disciples feet. And I, I kind of yeah. like that that image. But because I think and this was certainly my story for, for many years, thinking of Sunday primarily about what I'm coming to offer God. Mm. And I did think largely in individualistic terms. I mean, it might have been a bit better if I thought about what we're bringing to God, but even that is not right. It's primarily about what is God doing uh, to us. 
Yeah, and um, then recognizing that God works in ways that I think if it's about me, what I bring, um, often the focus then becomes on what's going to be an intense experience. Um, and if you're into singing, you want some mm. great singing. If you want to preach, you want to you want like the best sermon ever. But actually, if you've got a more holistic view of the worship, first of all, the sermon might not be very good. Yeah, we all have our down weeks, but the rest mm. of the service has content and goodness for us. Um, and actually, sometimes we want those, those experiences of like Christ is glorious and we're in tears and encouraged, but also God just works us patiently. And God's much more patient than we are. And mm. a lot of the time, we just need to turn up, be present where God has said he's going to be present, trust that he is at work in us. And hey, presto, 10 years later, you think, oh, God's been changing me after all. Mm. And so thinking of that much more patient approach, not yeah. what's going to happen by this time next week, but actually, as I'm doing this over the course of 10 years, let's see what, what God does in that time. Yeah, we're in a culture that wants a big thing right now, yeah. rather than a culture that patiently wants. Yeah, we want the kingdom of God to be like a, a, a balloon that blows up instantly rather than a tree that mm. blows up over time. But which one lasts longer? The tree lasts longer and produces life for everybody else. Um, all the visions of the way God grows the kingdom are they kind of slow, steady, patient things, aren't they? Absolutely. I really like that image. You said the, that we don't make it up, you know, liturgy up or, or gathered worship, what we do in gathered worship up, but we're, we're getting it from the whole of the Bible. Now, that might mm. be a surprise to some who kind of maybe look in on Anglican worship and think, isn't that just, you know, something that, Christians used to do in the past and it's tradition but you're one to say no we can get our liturgy from scripture could you help us with that where where, where might we go to to think that through uh, in the scriptures yeah loads of places they're different um here's one example um the idea that uh, God gathers us and sends us so Mark chapter 6 um Jesus sends out the disciples and they're out uh, doing the mission and then he, they come back mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, you look tired. Let's get together and spend time. God loves spending time with his people. Um, so there's a gathering going on. And then um, mm-hmm. crowds turn up like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is like, okay, I do some, do some teaching. And then he feeds them. Um, so you've got gathering, you've got teaching, mm-hmm. you've got feeding together. Um, yeah, Jesus takes a bread, breaks, gives thanks, breaks it, distributes it. It's clearly kind of communion language being used there. And then interestingly, we're told Jesus sends out the disciples again. It's quite a forceful word. It's like, no, no, you can't stay here. Off you go. So out they go onto the boat, onto the lake. And there's a great big storm. Um, but Jesus is on the mountain praying. And then he's in the boat with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a picture of the Christian life of, you know, Sunday by Sunday. We've been, you know, all week long, we've been out on mission. Jesus just wants to spend time with us because he loves us. Mm-hmm. He gathers us together. Um, he teaches us, he feeds us at the Lord's Supper, he sends us out, and he sends us out, having been refreshed, but out into a world, um, you know, the Gentile nations are like the sea, the Bible is full of that imagery, you go out and there's a storm, but what do you need to know, as we go out from Sunday, out into the stormy world, what do we need to know? Jesus is up the mountain praying for us, mm. and he's with us in the boat as the great I am. It's like, oh. and then we do it again next Sunday. <laughs> so you, you see these patterns going across the bible and that, that's one of them i could give you do you want to do some others these sort of patterns? yeah please i, yeah, I enjoyed so, that one i'm ready for more <laughs> so um so that one's kind of gathering and there's no confession in that mark six thing but 
yeah, we're, we're bringing all things together, aren't we? So that's a kind of gathering, teaching, uh, eating together, being sent out into the world. Um, another way to look at that would be um, up the mountain and back to earth. There's a vision mm-hmm. of, of worship. So um, the Lord gathers us and think of mountains in the Bible. They're everywhere, aren't they? Mountains are really important places. So God gathers us to the mountain. We come to the foot of the mountain and we realize we're unclean and we need to be purified. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we start ascending the hill of the Lord. We start going up the mountain. Actually, of course, uh, we're only going up because Jesus has gone up for us. So we're ascending in Christ up the mountain and we go up into heaven. And there in heaven, the top of the mountain, the Lord starts speaking to us. Uh, you know, think about Sinai, think of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. We go up the mountain and God starts teaching us um, and then he feeds us. Um, but what's he been doing when he's teaching us? He's been giving us a vision of what heaven's perspective on reality. Moses goes up Sinai and looks into heaven and he sees reality and makes the tabernacle like a, an, a version on earth of what is in heaven. Uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is saying, this is a vision of reality from heaven's, heaven's perspective. Now go out into the world and do on earth what my will is in heaven. So we've gone up the mountain, uh, ascending in Christ. Um, we, we're taught, as it were, in heaven. Loads of theologians in the past talk about us basically going into heaven when we worship. Um, Jesus teaches us. He feeds us with his own life. And then like streams flowing down. Um, from the Garden of Eden out to the four corners of the world, we stream down from the mountain out into the nations um, so that we might do God's will on earth as we saw in heaven. And wow. again, we do that every Sunday. Um, wow. I'll give you two more. Give me two, more. two more. It's okay, brilliant. two more. Um, and what's, and um, what's nice is all these things, they kind of fit together. Um, so that's one of the things I was doing in, in the material I wrote and, and preached about and you can see that elsewhere but um so give me two other examples one would be the christian life in miniature so the christian life god calls us to himself in christ and we come and we belong to him and united to, to jesus uh, our sins are dealt with and we are declared righteous so there's the, the gathering to christ and our sins are dealt with um then there's this lifelong journey of listening to god's word and being changed by the Spirit to become like Jesus. And so that's, that's the whole Christian life, as it were. And then what, what, where are we heading? We're heading to new creation glory, where we feast at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Um, so there's church. God gathers us. Our sins are dealt with. We've got a lifelong process of um, being rearranged by God's word and the Spirit to become more like Jesus. Our goal is new creation, feasting and glory. But, of course, we're not there yet. So God sends us out into the world um, gather other people next week, bring some more in next week and we'll, and we'll go through the Christian life in miniature again next Sunday. Uh, so that's one. And then my last one, and this is, um, it's quite a deep one, which underlies a lot of the stuff. Um, the sacrificial system in Leviticus. Uh, I don't know how many people, it's not common to preach Leviticus, is it? And uh, it's not really common to actually go into what are the different sacrifices saying about, uh, about what Christ has done for us? Um, there are a number of main sacrifices, but there are three really important sacrifices which turn up all, all the time in the same order. Um, there is the sin offering, 
And that's about being cleansed by the blood of the, the sacrifice. There's an ascension offering, normally called a burnt offering. Um, and that's, we often think that the burnt offering is about the animal being kind of consumed by the wrath of God. And look, we, I do believe in that, but I don't think that's what that sacrifice is about. Actually, the animal in the burnt offering, the ascension offering, is being turned into smoke to ascend. You think about the sacrifices in, mm. in like Exodus. You've got the glory cloud above the tabernacle um, and an animal burnt on the altar um, turns into smoke, ascends up and joins the glory cloud of God. God. Um, so there's the first sacrifice, sin offering deals with sin through the blood. The second offering is about ascending, being rearranged. We ascend, we follow the head as the washed and cleansed body, we follow the head up into the life of God. Um, and then there's the fellowship offering, which is the just enjoying a meal with the Lord offering. Mm. And that's the one where people actually ate part of what they offered. Um, mm. It's the joyful celebration. It's the, I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm doing this because this is wonderful. Um, so think of those three sacrifices. Deal with sin. Have our lives rearranged. Uh, by cut up by the knife that is the word of God to be living sacrifices ascending up to God uh, union with Christ um, mm -hmm. and then um, enjoy a meal with the Lord well if you take those three things and bought on a start and an end you've got the shape of the service yeah. you've got come together have a sin dealt with um, ascend uh, into the presence of God let to be our lives rearranged by his word um, in union with Christ enjoy a meal with the lord and then get sent out and do it again next sunday so all these things are just like wow you all come together you're glorious aren't they oh so glorious and that's so helpful tim um and maybe whoever's listening uh, to this you might want to pause rewind listen that all again because there's just so much in that could you just give us those those four visions for christian worship again just in a nutshell yeah so what were the images so gathering and sending yeah uh, uh gather teaching eating sending out uh, the christian life in miniature so call to belong to god in christ a sin dealt with lifelong process of being changed by the word of god until we reach uh, glory and that kind of vision of christian life is summarized we go through that track through that every sunday um mm. there's up the mountain and back to earth up the mountain look into heaven get down to earth do god's will on earth as it is in heaven um, and then there's a sacrificial system, which is about sin dealt with, our lives rearranged by God's word and feasting with the Lord. And those three sacrifices at the heart of the sacrificial system, you bought a start and then you've got the shape of you've got the shape of Christian worship, actually, in that in those sacrifices. Just brilliant. Uh, and listeners can enjoy digging into the scriptures and finding finding those there. And so those visions for for worship get expressed in in our liturgy and yeah. i guess you, you're not gonna find every word of certainly an anglican liturgy uh you know in the bible uh, although there should be lots of bible in our in our liturgy yes, but yes. as i think you said earlier what we should find is the logic of the scriptures in our liturgy and you know those patterns that you've shared there and people might have a look at uh the patterns for worship there in Eden and Sinai and in the book of Revelation, I think you get the same sort of call, uh, word, response, meal, that kind of logic. Yeah, I think, of it like well. I, think of it like Isaiah, 
you know, yeah. and God is called, and it's like, whoa, I'm really unclean. What can I do here? He's purified, yeah. and um, then he's uh, given a message by God and then commissioned to take it to the nations. So there you've got um, you know, a load of Christians in the past have thought about Isaiah 6 as a model mm. for worship. Um, and all these things are rich, and they do kind of overlap, and, and, and um, they interact with each other to give a vision mm. for worship. And I think some people are really obsessed about the exact words we use. And I love liturgy that's full of the scripture. For me, what's been really interesting, I've, this is what I loved about it, is seeing the, I guess, the theological logic of the shape mm. of the service and that journey we go on through the service. Um, that is rich. That is being shaped by Bible, deep Bible patterns. Um, I could think of a couple more top of my head right now, but hey, you can read about it on my website. Um, and you can, um, yeah, it gives us a, a vision of the Christian life, a vision of what God is doing in our lives, that if we understand that, then every Sunday we've been reminded of that. Mm. Every Sunday we suddenly think, we're not just come to church because we come to church. Actually, we've, we've gone up into heaven to see reality from God's perspective. And now we're going to go back to our workplace, our marriages, our families, to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. And that's, that suddenly becomes a pattern of our life. And it, I think it enriches what we do rather than just going through the motions. Absolutely. I think it's so helpful to have those big visions of, of what is actually going on when we when we gather to worship and are sent from worship. Um, but those visions for, for worship do get articulated in liturgy. Going back to those five that five-part yeah. sermon series, uh, why don't you take us into that and your vision for church and how that gets expressed in your church's liturgy? Yeah, so I'll caveat at the start by saying I've been in all sorts of churches where like there seems to be no logic at all in the course of the, <laughs> in the shape of the service, but being massively blessed by God. So if you like this sort of stuff, but your church isn't doing it, don't start complaining. Like just mm. enjoy what the Lord is doing. Uh, the Lord is far more gracious than our ability to do theology right, which is really good news. Um, it is. And uh, what's, anyway, yeah. So so reading various books about this, um, I'll just mention a couple because it might be helpful and um, people who want to see where some of this is coming from because like you it is great insights into the bible but often it's other people that we're just nicking isn't it um mm. so peter lightart we've mentioned he's very good and um, jeff myers works with him a lot of the time and jeff myers book called the lord's service really helpful particularly on the um the sacrificial system uh, that's a really good read um Brian Chapel, I think it's got a book called Jesus Centered, Christ Centered Worship. Yeah, Christ Centered Worship. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, it shows us kind of, uh, just shows us that historic liturgy has a has a reason, which is and structures good. tell stories. I think he he yeah. says in that book. Yeah. And then, um, Should be the story uh, of the gospel. Have you read Michael Morales' Who Shall Ascend the Hill of the Lord? I haven't, but I've heard of it. Oh, that's good. Is it good? It's um, it's a you know a biblical theology of Leviticus, which makes it sound a bit. Oh. Wow. Um, I mean, you and I were like, oh, Leviticus, of course, is the best book in the Bible, isn't it? I mean, is there anything more Jesus than to the, in Leviticus? Oh. Um, most people will look at that and think, nah, it's not for me. <laughs> but actually, if you want a really good insight into the, the symbolic world of the Old Testament, how mm. the worship fits in, that's really worth reading. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so stealing from some, a Presbyterian somewhere, who I can't remember who they called, um, they divided the service into five sections, uh, each beginning with letter C, which clearly makes it more true. Um, <laughs> and so 
I'm not too obsessed about the exact words used. I think the shape is what's important. So call and uh, where God uh, draws us to himself, a confession where God cleanses us, consecration, which is the most kind of contrived see, but actually is very, very good. Um, God speaks and transforms us. Communion, God feeds and unites us. And then the commission, God sends us. So call, confession, consecration, um, communion and commission. So that's the that's how I see the five shapes of the service. At our church, we do quite explicitly in the order of service, draw attention to that process. Um, you don't need to do that, but for me, it's been helpful to get this vision across to our church family. Um, mm -hmm. And those three middle ones, confession, consecration, communion, you can tie those to the, those three offerings I mentioned, sin offering, ascension offering, peace offering, um, uh, or call and confession, as it were, we gather at the foot of the mountain, consecration, we ascend in Christ, we are sanctified, made holy, the Spirit gets to work to make us more like our Holy Saviour. Um, and then top of, the, top of the mountain, communing with the Lord, and then commission sent out into the world around us. So those five C's are, mm. it's a good framework. It's not the best, it's not the only framework, but it is a good framework for what I've been doing um, for the five parts of worship. That's really helpful. I like that a lot. And what I found helpful about your sermon series is that you you link each of those to our identity as church. Yeah. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, this comes from probably 10, 15 years ago when I was um, reading a lot of stuff called missional church models, um, American and British um, yeah, vision of, kind of church planting and so on. And they were creating not so much action plans as identity statements. So instead of saying, as a church, we do these three things, it's actually, as church, we are this. And, of course, that's very biblical, isn't it? Um, our action flows from our identity. Um, Ephesians is clear, you know, who are we and what do we do? So that got me thinking, and what I've come up with is this, this sentence, I suppose. Um, we are chosen and redeemed to be holy disciples, joyful family, and servant missionaries. Uh, so the call reminds us that we're chosen. Confession renews us as God's redeemed people. Consecration grows us as holy disciples. Communion unites us as joyful family. And the commission sends us as servant missionaries. Um, so each part of the service is telling us you could easily do a sermon series of what each part of the service tells us about the Lord. Yeah, mm -hmm. He's the caller, he's the cleanser, yeah. so on. Um, but I was thinking about church identity, and I wanted our church to think this is who we are, and then flowing from who we are, um, then I start thinking about what we do. as, and, and then you can get really particular. Okay, this is who we are. Um, in my context, what does that mean about what we do? And then your context, who you are in your context is the same thing, yeah. but how that's worked out in practice based on the, the strengths and weaknesses of your church family, based on the, the, the parish, the community around you, will have a different application. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's got, to flow from, it's got to flow from who we are in Christ. And that message is repeated, renewed each Sunday in our worship. Really helpful. I think it would be beneficial to spend just a, maybe a couple of minutes on each of those and just to mm -hmm. share a little bit about what, what each of those sections look like for you. 
in your in your gathered worship do a couple of minutes on each yeah okay um and uh, i'll warn the listener that um there's a lot of alliteration coming up uh, even more than already i um, i love that <laughs> but uh but uh it's the preacher and me and it is memorable i mean it's helped it me to remember this um yeah. so uh, and then it's not even just lit- alliteration, but each three points is like a father, son, and spirit point. So, oh, I mean, this is as well. it's basically got to be true if that's good, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's that line in the Lego movie? You know, it gives that rhyme, and uh, here's a prophecy, it must be true because it rhymes. It's kind of, it's kind of like that. Yeah. Um, so, the call, uh, the call, uh, God is gathering us, and uh, we're summoned as Christ's people together. So he might serve us in our gathered worship. Now, what does that look like in church in our church? I much as I love Anglican liturgy, I think our call to worship is often a bit weak. Um, some churches are just a hello, how are you? And there's like no call at all. Um, we do have like start off in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's good to say, like, this is the God in whose name we gather. Mm-hmm. Um, and often bits of psalms are really good. Um to, you know, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, come before him rejoicing, those who have called to yeah. worship things. Um, so we want a, a definite a definite idea that we're not here because we t- bothered to set the alarm, get out of bed, get clothes on, and come to drive to church. We're here because God has called us. Um, we're gathering. Here we go. Here's our three points for the first one. We gather because we belong to God our Father. We've been bought by the blood of God the Son, and we're being built into the temple of God, the spirit. So belonging, bought, built. Um, basically, the call to worship is saying God is taking hold of us. And he is the one gathering us. And we're putting this gathering immediately in the context of the gospel, of what God is planning to do with us in our time together. Uh, next one. Should we do the next one? Please. Um, so Confession. Uh, God cleanses us. We confess our sins, trusting in the death of Jesus for our cleansing. So what's going on in the confession? I think um, for us, it's just very standard Anglican liturgy um, for the confession. Um, But in that part of the service, we're looking to the Father who defines right and wrong, the Son in whom we are declared righteous, and the Spirit who makes us desire good and hate evil. So as we come together, this actually is um, a real move towards unity. If the Father defines right and wrong, then we're learning together what right and wrong. Um, The word for confession, um, my Greek has all gone completely, but there's a word homologia, which basically means speak the same as. So if God says that thing is sin, then when we confess, we're saying, yeah, it is sin. Uh, We're going to agree with you, Lord. Um, I thought it was fine last Tuesday when I did that sin, but God, you clearly says it was wrong, so I'm going to confess my sin. Uh, God defines right and wrong. Um, but then also, when we have the word of forgiveness, um, my duty is to say, I'm going to say the same as God does. God says I'm justified, declared righteous in Christ. So I'm going to go here, go from here saying, I'm declared righteous in Christ. I want to speak the same, mm-hmm. not just about what right or wrong is, but speak the same about the glorious fact of my redemption and forgiveness. Um, and of course, we want to not just begrudgingly say, oh, yeah, I guess God's right after all. Mm. I suppose I better not do that thing that I like. But actually, we want our hearts and minds to be changed, don't we? So that we, mm. like Jesus, we love what's right and hate, hate what's evil. That wonderful bit, vision of him in Psalm 45. Uh, we want 
confession to be not only confessing our sin, but the spirit changing us that we love what is true and righteous and just and good and we hate uh, what's evil and what God says is bad. So that's confession. Mm-hmm. Um, consecration, I guess this is the word that most feels forced, um, but actually consecration, it is that idea, isn't it, of you can be consecrated as a status, set apart as holy, and you can be consecrated as a process of becoming more holy. It's like sanctification. It is both a thing that happens. We are sanctified in Christ, and we are being sanctified in Christ. That gives us a vision, really, of what's going on in this sermon. Uh, in the sermon, God is speaking, and therefore he's pouring out life to us in his word. The word of God cuts us up and rearranges us. In Hebrews 4, it's that um, that sword that divides, I can't remember the word, you know, divides soul and spirit and joint and marrow someone. It's that idea of being cut up and rearranged. And it's the sermon, but it's also the Bible reading. It follows as we respond to God's word with song, maybe, or with a creed or with prayers. It's that whole central section of the sermon, of the service, rather, where God gets to work in us through his word. Um, but other focus is, is preaching and the sermon and in God's word, here's your three L's. We listen as our father speaks to us. We look to Jesus, the center of all the scriptures, and we learn how to live in step with the spirit. Um, and just remind us that this is not just my words. When I'm preaching, it's not just my words. God is speaking here. My job isn't just to say verse one means this and verse two means that and Amen at the end, but actually, how, how does verse one show us Jesus? Mm. How does this story show us Jesus? How does this bit of narrative or, or poetry or or epistle show us Jesus? That's the center of it all because it's the vision of Christ, isn't it? That really that changes our hearts and minds. Um, that's consecration, the kind of the big central section of the service. Uh, God speaks and we respond. Then there's communion. This uh I call us um, here a joyful family. I really wanted to help our church realize that this is not a meal where we come together. And you know, people often think that communion, how should we feel? Probably really unworthy and miserable. Mm. Like mm. the right way to come to the Lord's table is like, oh, I shouldn't be here. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a wretched worm. And it's like, actually, confession has dealt with that. We are, mm. we are unworthy. We are wretched worms. We are deeply guilty. And, you know, but Actually, we've heard forgiveness. So we come to the table as this celebratory Eucharist. It means Thanksgiving, isn't it? So we want this joyful feast as we come together. We literally kind of taste a preview of the wedding feast of the Lamb. Um, and there's loads of things we could say about communion, isn't it? Because like every Bible, every Bible theme comes together in the Lord's Supper. Um, but I wanted us as in our church to think about that we are joyful family. That sense we are communing with each other as well as with the Lord. Um, so at the table, and um, we rejoice in our adoption of sons and daughters of God. It's got to be celebration. And we recognize one another as members of Christ's body. We're looking around saying, well, if I'm an adopted child of God and you're an adopted child of God, we're clearly family. Mm-hmm. And uh, 1 Corinthians, doesn't it, talks about that family nature of the, the Lord's Supper. And then we are reassured by the spirit of our future hope and inheritance so recognize rejoice sorry in our adoption recognize members of of the one church and reassured by the spirit 
Um, fans of the BCP would like to think that one of the post-communion prayers in the BCP uh, basically does those three things. We rejoice at God's goodness and that we're members and corporates in the mystical body of Christ and that we are heirs together um, of the inheritance. So a bit of BCP in there, not quite that language, but BCP is in there, but still. Um, and then commission, last part of the service. And again, have we... Um, a lot of Anglican churches will say, go in peace, love and serve the Lord, which is a good way, isn't it, of ending of, we hear the word of blessing, and that word of blessing is to be taken by us as we go out into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't, we're not leaving church, we're going as church into the world. We're servants, we're missionaries, and we go into the coming week sent by the Father to our specific situations and, and vocations. We go speaking the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we go serving the world in the power of the spirit. So if you go from church back to home, you know, what you're doing on Monday or Tuesday, that's where you've been sent. It's not just that you go to work. You're sent by God. Um, first day of the week, we get together. God meets us. Then we, then from that position of having met the living God, we're sent back to wherever God wants us to be. And there we want to speak and serve. Um, so that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, Tim, that's a, a wonderful, simple and yet full way of understanding our liturgy. In terms of how you lead a service and how you navigate this with people with together as, as a church family, how, how do you do that? I mean, are you explaining a lot of this as you go along? Are you dropping in the odd comment are you referring people back to this sermon series and just saying, listen, that could you give us some help on that? Yeah. So um, uh, this is not a, I don't think this is necessary at all, but you know, also our, our printed order of service. Um, and I think it appears, I can't see my PowerPoint screen on church and it's behind me and we don't have a TV for me to look at. So I, I think it's there. Um, but those, the core confession, consecration, communion, and commission, that's printed, that's labeled. And the kind of the basic headline, which is God gathers us, God cleanses us, God speaks and transforms us, God feeds and unites us, God sends us. Those things are in the order of service. Right. Which I hope just, just enough for people to remember what's going on. Yeah. Um, and occasionally I'll that's I think that's enough there for people to just kind of remember what they've heard in the past hopefully um i don't want to explain everything um, because that can be really tedious um <laughs> in the service um but yeah i'll drop into now I'll, I'll drop in something like isn't it great to be together with saint george's church um yeah the fact that god has called us this morning to be his how wonderful um or communion after after communion we might say um you know We've, we've been family together at the Lord's table. Let's pray the family prayer and we do the Lord's prayer. Something like that. Mm. Uh, so a couple of little comments along there. Um, but I guess one of the reasons for doing this sermon series, so, so three years ago I did a sermon series on kind of the logic of worship. Um, and I had plans to revisit that in 2020, but of course, you know, a few things got in the way. Um, so this just recently, I went through the kind of chosen, redeemed, holy disciples, joyful family, servant missionaries. That was kind of the theme of this recent series. Um, and as I think you, you've, you might have seen, 
I've bu- those have been filmed. I've done handouts to go with them. And my hope is in the future as a church, well, two hopes really. One is that this becomes a framework for thinking about issues in the church life. Let me come back to that later on. Um, and also if people join us as a church, um, it might be a course I'd do with them. Like say, uh, I don't know, a, a baptism. Yeah, you know, family comes along, being church for them, they want their child baptised. And I tend to do like Glenn's three to one, Glenn's Criminal's three mm. to one course with them. That's great. But I was thinking, what can I do to follow up? What can I do to follow up that teaches them and shows them how important it is to be coming along to church? So I might do this as a kind of follow up with baptism families or um, new inquirers. It could be a, a post, it could be, it could be like a pre confirmation course or something like that, just to help people go, oh, I see what's going on in worship. I understand why it's important that we meet week by week. Um, I can see why God wants me to be there because of all the goodness that he wants to give us, give to us each Sunday. And um, I hope that would be a foundation then for people. Um, I want just enough on a Sunday to remind them of that kind of foundational vision of, of church worship and church life. You said earlier that um, Sunday gatherings are the, the Christian life in miniature. Mm. And so, of course, each of these sections have particular practices, things that we're doing, whether it's prayer or singing or or hearing and reading the word yeah. or eating a meal together, uh, but being sent in the power of the spirit to live and work to, to God, God's praise and glory. Taking this from Sunday to, to Monday to Saturday, what are some of the, 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 the practices of discipleship that you think this vision for worship is forming in us? I think these some people have a vision of liturgy, which case where people just do liturgy and they'll take on those amazing theologies just because they said the same words each week. I just we've I've seen too many churches where they have lots of liturgy and nobody has a clue what's going on. So I do mm-hmm. think these things have got to be taught to people and therefore they've got to be taught, they've got to be reminded of them. Um but things like I think the fact that we're called says actually I belong to God. I want people to go back into their workplace or back to their family saying, this family belongs to God. That's important. I go into my workplace as somebody who belongs to God and actually been sent by him. So I want them to have that understanding of who they are as they go into the coming week. Um, I want people to, I want people to realize that if God's invited us to his table to be family together, and maybe our family tables could be a place of hospitality as well. And we've learned from, you know, we learn in worship that God wants to cleanse and purify people. He wants to invite sinners to himself. He wants to teach us how to live. He wants to draw us to a family, to a table. Well, how might my life practice show that? Um, That's probably the next sermon series, I guess, maybe in a year Mm. or two's time to go back to these things. And and a lot of churches, they do things like rhythms of life. Um, I'll say, actually, if we are, if we come weekly to a joyful celebration of what Christ has done for us, how else can we embed joyful celebration into our life? Mm-hmm. Um, if uh, if each week we can, we can be, we know we're redeemed and um, we're justified in Christ, we're declared righteous in Christ, then how can we go into the week um, full of grace to people whose lives are, are fallen apart? Um, and are full of guilt. Actually, if, if I found, if God called me last Sunday to come to him to cleanse me again, that should shape how I interact with people in the coming week. Mm-hmm. Um, in a church life, we've identified 
kind of one practice uh, linked to each of these five things, which we're trying to embed as a basically our midweek pattern. Um, but of course, church is more than just the midweek meetings. It's actually being church. I think one of my one of my really big visions for church life is how God wants to do very amazing things in really ordinary situations. Mm-hmm. Like think of Ephesians, for example. Yeah, you've got this glorious vision of like all things in heaven and on earth united under Christ. It's like wow, and God's wisdom being displayed to the heavenly author- rulers and authorities. It's like, whoa, Paul, this is immense. Okay, so Paul, what's the vision strategy? How are we gonna like put this into a mission plan? And Paul goes, right, if you're a husband, start loving your wife. Mm. Um and uh, bring up your children in the, in the admonition of the Lord. And if you're a slave, like work, you know, work well, be a master. And it's like, okay, okay, Paul, where, where's the mission strategy? And Paul's like, I've just given it to you. Um, oh, yeah, and pray, you know, take up the gospel as a shield, a shield of faith. Remember the gospel at all times. Uh, pray for opportunities to talk about Jesus. That's about it, really. <laughs> it's like, but, but where's the big vision? Where's the, like, multi-million pound uh, strategy it's like Paul says like well just go and love your wife love your husband um, and so I want people to be I want people to realize that that really ordinary stuff where we actually spend our time is where uh, they can be like Christ and God gathers us not just for the sake of we you know worship is an end in itself we want to enjoy the living God in Christ by the spirit mm-hmm. but he does also want to change us to be just more like Jesus as we go out into the coming week as somebody who knows I belong to God, my sins are dealt with, I'm being transformed, I've been feasting at the king's table. Wow. So if I feel if I feel rubbish in my workplace or rubbish in my community, like I'm nobody, it's like I just ate with a king a couple of days ago. So <laughs> clearly not that rubbish. <laughs> you know, they're not in Christ anyway. Um, I'll oh. keep it going to the week, just ordinary stuff with these things kind of ringing in their ears. What a vision for Sunday gatherings and church life. I've, I've quoted Light already, and at the risk of overcoating him, it just a, 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 something he said came to mind as you were just, just talking there. He, he wrote this. He said, if you're a Christian, that's what you're doing. Your life may not look like a big deal. You're kind to your neighbours, serve your brothers and sisters in church, gather each week to receive God's word and God's bread. You train and teach your children as disciples. You love your husband and wife. You're an honest and productive employee, an intensive employer. You feel invisible, but that's an optical illusion. You're participating in the biggest project imaginable. Mm. You're joining with millions of others to build the self-building ark of Jesus. To your witness and labour, a new world is taking form. You're fighting the battle of the ages. You're constructing the city of God among the cities of men in order Mm. to transform the cities of men to become more like the city of God. Nothing is small in the kingdom of Jesus. I like that. Love what you were saying. Tim, I could listen to you talk about this uh, for a lot longer than we've got. Um, But I think let's start wrapping things up. Perhaps there's some listening who this is all new to them. And maybe from a, a... you know, a, a, a desire to see Sunday gatherings as open to non-Christians and uh, newcomers, perhaps have stripped worship back a little bit mm-hmm. um, maybe cut some of this stuff out. But having heard you think, oh, no, I think I do from the scriptures. I think I've been convinced that I need to rethink this. What might be one step in in a good direction, perhaps? I think... Um... You could write 
we, we want people to, when they come to church, um, yeah, they are going to encounter something different. And so we, we need to be less embarrassed about the fact that that gather worship is going to be different. Um, it's different because the Lord's holy and, and we're, yeah, we are in Christ, but naturally by ourselves we're not. And and he's full of joy and we're, he's constantly giving and we're constantly taking, aren't we, in a kind of negative way. And um, So we've got to realise that church is going to be different from ordinary life. Um, we need to come joyfully inhabit that. Um, if people go along, you know, people could go along to church and it could be the most like a rocking out band at the front. But if the congregation aren't singing, people are going to say, well, it's just performance. It could be really liturgical. If people are just come bumbling along, you know, to the glory of God, the Father, blah, blah, blah. It's like, <laughs> clearly, um, these people don't believe it. So a big part is just saying, how about when you say amen at the end of the prayer, you all like, amen, do that. <laughs> you know, um, if you say a, a prayer of um, a thanksgiving, do it well. Give it, give it life. Um, but I think it's really easy to, you can really easily to, um, explain in a couple of paragraphs kind of what's going on in church worship. Mm-hmm. And I think to give that to somebody who's new would, would help them go, oh, yeah, okay, that makes a bit more sense now. Um, that's what I've tried to do with some of the handouts is just give a little little kind of short, pithy statements of what's going on. Um, like I said, I've, these, these young guys I remember talking to some years ago, they're like, oh, right, okay. It comes from Leviticus. It's about God working. Here's the logic. Yeah, straightforward. Yeah. Actually, these things, we've, we've gone up into heaven. We've seen reality. We've eaten with God. Now we're flowing like streams back into the world. People can go, Amazing. yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. It's actually <laughs> yeah. quite simple visual language. Yeah. Um, and you could put that on your website. You could do that in a two-minute explainer video. I mean, a lot of websites have a what to expect when you come to church. Just put a two, three-minute video, one of those on. Yeah. Um, if you do have printed order for service, you could do that. Um, I know one church where you've got little arrows on the screen. If this is a prayer that's kind of directed towards God, um, that little arrow that shows you kind of looking upwards. If it's about, uh, if it's a song which is about singing to one another, there are little horizontal arrows showing that we're, mm-hmm. we're kind of engaging with each other. You, just, you can do some pretty simple things um, to help people engage with the liturgy, engage with what's going on. I think the other thing would be, um, I think most people would expect church to be a bit like church. Mm-hmm. Um, so if people come along and they're probably expecting things to be slightly different and unusual. So just, so don't do too worried about that. Give them this simple mm-hmm. explanation beforehand if you can do that. Um, but also people are very often very worried about what's going to happen next. Um, if you've got a printed liturgy, even if it's just a kind of an overview, because you know, we, we all use screens these days, don't we? So, um, but even just a, like a, a simple liturgy that says, we're going to do this in this order. It means that if you're completely new, that's probably what's stressing you out. It isn't that the words we're using might have been written by somebody else. It's that what's going to happen next? Am I suddenly going to be asked to stand up and wave around? Am I going to be brought to the front? Um, why is that guy at the front now? Um, yeah. a, a, a routine liturgy that's basically the same each week gives people who are new confidence they can take part straight away well think of children you know um we sing the doxology after communion um two 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 and three year olds can can quickly learn the doxology yeah. um yeah 
there's some wonderful actions I saw someone doing recently, um, a little video for, for like three, four, five-year-olds. Um, mm. But actually it means you might be going to this church for three weeks, but immediately with a bit of liturgy, you can take part in it. You feel like you're contributing, you're receiving, you're, you're actively participating in this, where a lot of churches where we stripped back everything, everyone becomes very passive. Like the medieval church is you sat there um, while the priest at the front did the, the communion and you said nothing. Mm. And a lot of our churches these days, you sit there passively doing nothing, but the preacher does all the work. Right. Um, whereas a lot of churches who'd have a more kind of robust liturgy, there's much more congregational involvement. Yeah. Um, not just in the singing, but in, in every part of the service. That kind of call and response back and forth really means everybody is, is always involved. Mm-hmm. And that's um and if the words are printed, you can be a complete stranger to this church, but already you're involved and you know what's going on. And that fear of worry about what's going on is taken away. You can see it. Yeah. So I think it's actually very I think it's very accessible. People think liturgy is inaccessible. Um, yeah, if you spoke in Aramaic, people wouldn't understand. Um, but a printed liturgy, um, you can be new, you can be young, um, it's there for you, and you can take part from word go. I'm into that, and, and I'd completely echo that. Um, you know, our church, we have all ages, we have different nationalities, you know, people who speak all sorts of different languages. I think having, uh, you know, a structure to what we do and liturgy, over especially over time it means that the people all sorts of people can connect in mm. uh our little one you know she's two years old she knows the lord's prayer she comes back from church singing songs that were sung on sunday someone introduced to us i think it was the sovereign grace song it's all about jesus and she's just singing that yeah uh, there's a rap in that which she hasn't quite got down just okay, yet yeah. but uh, <laughs> she's got the chorus um which is just brilliant so definitely echo what you said there Tim, thank you so much. If people want to find out more of, of about what you've been saying or more of what you've got to say, where might they go? Um, so the five sermons that you saw and um, the handouts that go with them, and the handouts are kind of, I'm trying to do lots of good theology in short chunks. Um, so I do hope to kind of make this kind of a sort of thing you could do with others. Um, so if you go to our website, which is um, www st george's shrewsbury dot church uh, st 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 george's shrewsbury dot church um, forward slash what is church there you'll find the recording there you'll find the handouts and my kind of clever master plan which links it all together um, and even a suggestion on how you might work through the handout material um, so that's one way to access this stuff if you like all my alliteration you can you can read it there uh, in black and white um, Otherwise, uh, our sermons are on YouTube, St. George's Shrewsbury. Um, and, but I, I think you mentioned at the start, I've been writing um, since the, the first lockdown, I've been writing um, Bible reflections to go with the daily lectionary, particularly morning prayer. Um, so, so if people want like short, Jesus-centered, exegetical, uh, encouraging, devotionally rich, reflections um you can get those at the twitter account which is at jesus underscore good underscore news um jesus is good news was taken by somebody else um so ah. jesus underscore good underscore news <laughs> um and you get those each day um but you can also sign up on the church website to get them by post because by getting more by post or by, by email because 
if you're trying to pray morning prayer, say, or just read the Bible and reflect on it, you don't really want to go to Twitter because mm-hmm. it's going to, it's going to distract you straight away. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I email them out about once a month, um, a month's worth of reflections. Uh, one week is two sides of A4. Um, and people around the, around the world actually are using that. And yeah, and I normally focus on the Old Testament because uh, that's what most people struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just so obviously all about Jesus, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's oh, just yeah. really, you know, trying to do a New Testament about Jesus can be a bit tricky, but Old Testament <laughs> about Jesus, obviously, that's just like... Absolutely. Um, I mean, I th- have you just done yeah. Revelation, though? Or you're currently... Yeah, so, so I... I've I read a focused, few of those, which is brilliant. Yeah, I always focus on the Old Testament, except for... So when, re- when it came to Revelation, I thought um, most people, if they're not confused, even if they're not confused by the Old Testament, they probably are confused by Revelation. Sure. So, so for, for was it four or five weeks, I focused on Revelation. Um, but then once that's finished, coming up soon, it'll be back to Isaiah. Um, yeah. So it takes you through the, the, the daily lectionary, Monday to Saturday, the, the morning prayer readings. Um, whether you use morning prayer is up to you, but if you want to just a guide to the Bible, something yeah. you can use alongside maybe the church building has got that um, daily prayer app, which a lot of people, Anakin, are not, find quite helpful. Yeah. Um, if you want a, yeah, a short, Jesus-centered, actually engaging with the Bible and actually devotionally, doctrinally rich reflection, that's what I've been trying to do. Um, and it's been a lot of fun and people have been really blessed by it. So it's encouraging to hear how short bits of packed Jesusness is is uh, helping people each day. Brilliant. Oh, that's so good. Well, I'd really encourage people to check that sermon series out and, and check those uh, daily Bible reflections out as well. Thank you so much, Tim. It's been really Thank you, Sam. a brilliant conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Learned loads. I'm encouraged. My heart's been warmed. And uh, Jesus is brilliant. That's that's the big thing. What yeah, a, what Jesus is good news. He really is <laughs> he good is news. Good news that's it. Everything about Jesus is, by definition, good news. Absolutely. And like people say, what do you do as a job as a vicar? It's like, I get paid to tell people good news all the time. Yeah, everything about probably... Jesus, even his warnings are good news. Yeah, so it's like he really is good news. Let's just oh, bang that drum all the time. Definitely. And let's finish on that note. And just thank you to those who have listened and uh, hope it's been a helpful conversation. And uh, do look out for further conversations uh, in the near future here on the Didache podcast. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Bye bye.